0: Uh. Let's go. It. Let's a chance, go. Let's
1: go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Move on, baby. Who this? Ooh, this. Ooh, this. Girl, you're missing with the wrong one. This is, this is. Now I'm flexing, cause I'm on. I'm on. Flex, 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 flex flexing all. Flex, flex,
0: uh. flex. Welcome to another episode of NBA University. Um, today is Monday, February 25th. Well, that was a guess. Um, and sorry for the delay. It's a crazy week for the both of us, so we're just getting back into it. Um, today is our college podcast. Uh, we're going to cover. Um, what conference is it again? <laughs> American Athletic. Conference. There we go. Oh, it's Monday. Um, so we're going to cover them, uh, talk a little bit about some risers, um, some teams that are starting to fade a little bit, uh, and sort of go over that kind of stuff. But first, I, I want to get your reaction to oh, God. Um, Paul George's sneakers. Oh,
1: Don't do this to me. <laughs> Well, I was voting for Paul George for MVP. You had me all on the bandwagon and everything, and now I think he's the worst player in the league. So that pretty much sums it up, I think. (laughs) And also, I came up with this. If you make me commissioner for a day, which I wish, um, I would change everything pretty much. But the number one change I'd make is the player's shoes that you wear, if you get hurt wearing them, that player has to come back and play for the school until you're healthy. (laughs) So Duke should have Paul George until Zion's healthy again.
0: (laughs) I would love to see Paul Jones play against some <laughs> college
1: players, <laughs> especially with it, like on that Duke team where they just get to do whatever they want, more or less.
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah, and humble some players in the opposing teams, especially in the ACC. Oh yeah,
1: imagine him going up against Luke May. I think Luke May might t- quit basketball by halftime. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but what I say Wouldn't Luke May played? Duke... Dude,
1: that is such crap because he was being guarded by R.J. Barrett and Jack White. Get out of here!
0: I told you, he was I knew goal. I should shut
1: my mouth until after the game. I knew I should just not said anything. Ah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was sitting there just literally steaming. <laughs> like I got a six-five shooting guard trying to guard a paint power forward right now. That just oh.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well,
1: luckily they get another shot in a couple of weeks, so I'll, <laughs> I'll settle on that for now. <laughs> Damn you, Paul George. <laughs> the, the one time you would do that to me is the freaking one game I wanted so bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh.
0: yeah, so for those you don't know, so Zach texted me saying he, this was the months before the game. <laughs> How Zion's gonna absolutely dominate Luke May and it's gonna go be so ugly for him. And I told him that Luke May's gonna have his career game. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I was at practice and um, first thing I did after practice was look at the score and look at Luke May's stats. <laughs> I just started laughing, but yeah, I wanted to get your genuine reaction there because. That's why I didn't tell you what I was gonna ask first. <laughs> All
1: I can say is if he plays in that game, the outcome is so drastically different and Luke May's stats are so drastically different.
0: I don't know. We'll see. I'm if... telling you. <laughs> I'm give
1: doing... me give me till March 9th, and then I, I will use the true facts to back up my statement.
0: Now we got it recorded, so we can always play it back. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, we also have recorded I said Virginia was going to whoop Duke twice and I was whiffed on those both times, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, we might talk about Virginia a little bit, but. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, Duke, obviously, that was a big loss for them, uh, but I think they're going to be fine and we'll bounce back and beat UNC and I think UNC's showing them, showing the country sort of what they can do, so. uh, Also,
1: while we're on the topic, since we that both of us agree on this and have said it multiple times, but I don't think we've said it on this podcast recently. Um, RJ Barrett has completely turned his game around from what he was like two months ago, uh, still a young freshman learning. And you could tell like really hunting a shot, trying to get his, but um, also going about it in a team way. But now he's been a facilitator. He's dominated games. He has a 20, what, 26, 27 point triple double with no turnovers. He just had a 30 and 10 game against Syracuse, um, just dominating in the middle of the zone. He's Zion's overshadowed him completely, and somewhat rightfully so. But RJ has absolutely improved almost 180 degrees since he uh, since he's been on campus.
0: Yeah, and I think what people gotta realize is when you are leading your national team, you're leading your high school. Um, Taking basically every shot, like scoring, doing everything you need to for them to win, um, and then coming to a team that has guys that can really help you out. Um, nothing against Canada, nothing against Montverde Academy, but it's different when you have guys like Zeon, Trey Jones, and Cam Reddish on your team. So it took them time to adjust uh, and really understand. What's a good shot for him in this situation? And now that he's coming around to it, and his playmaking has been unreal lately. Um, being able to get past his defender, draw another one, and make the right pass, whether that's a dump off or kicking it out to the opposite wing. Um, I think RJ is the best overall prospect. Like Zion's great, um, athletic can do a lot of great things in the court, but I think as far as becoming someone that can be a number one scorer, uh, a number one option on a team, I feel more comfortable with RJ becoming that than Zion just because RJ's shots there is, is getting there. Um, it's obviously not what it's going to be in the NBA. It's going to be a little bit better, but his shots there, his handles a little bit better. Um, and his playmaking is better. So overall, he, he's a better offensive player, so I feel more confident that he'll become um, a better NBA prospect.
1: Yeah, I mean, he was also voted in all, preseason All-American, which there's like one freshman every year, and rarely do they live up to what they're supposed to be just because that's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it's, no matter what, every time you go up a level, it takes an adjustment, like high school to college, college to the NBA. There's always some sort of adjustment, Adjustment, no matter how good of a player you are. Um, and RJ, slowly but surely, has, has really figured it out. And I say slowly but surely, but he still was averaging like 25 a game while not being able to figure it out. Um, but that went from 25 a game on 22 shots to 25 a game on 15 shots when getting nine assists now. Um, he's actually surpassed, surpassed Trey the last, like, five, six games and assists, which has been incredible. But, um, to back up what you just said, Kevin Herter multiple times has said he would rather have RJ than Zion taking nothing away from Zion, but RJ's ceiling is almost non-existent.
0: Yeah. It's amazing to me that how many people have fallen off his bandwagon, uh, since he's started at Duke. It's, he's becoming more efficient. The growth is there. Like that's what you look for in a player. Um, uh, you look for the ability to score, especially when they're keying on you. Like Syracuse, a long athletic zone that is just strictly focused on RJ because Trey has been really struggling offensively. Cam's turned it around and really stepped up, but Zion's not there. And then.
1: and Cam was bad in that Syracuse game, too.
0: Right. Exactly. <laughs> and then you got guys like Jack White, Alex O'Connell, Mark Bolden, and Javin Delorier. Um, which the combined of all of them is an average offensive college player so I mean <laughs> Alex that. O'Connell is, is much better is an offensive player but the point is that everyone's keen on RJ and he's still having that efficient game and being able to knock down tough shots and, and make plays for others so I I tweeted this I think a month ago or now. so ago now um but I'm planting my seed. What? Bro, what are you talking about, man? I'm out, man. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> That's getting cut out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what planting. is that
1: Shaq, from that Shack podcast? What does he say? What is that segment that they always do about that?
0: Oh, I forget. Uh, I'll find it. <laughs> Oh, anyway. it is Monday. Yeah. Okay, and we're back. I'm planting my flag <laughs> on RJ's island. So, Whew. yep.
1: <laughs> now that we got that out of the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh
1: my! All right. Um, where are we? What are we
0: talking about? Yeah. All right. So let's just let's, let's go into who's playing well. <laughs> I know. The you only know, who's playing well or who stinks. I don't care.
1: <laughs> let's
0: go. We'll
1: start with who's playing well. Try to have a high note here at some point yeah well Um,
0: i want to go first because i don't want you to steal my team
1: okay go ahead um this is the hardest
0: part yeah my team that i think is playing really well and almost playing out of uh their potential like playing above their um ceiling is i think lsu (laughs) did i steal it or no no okay (laughs) that that was my second choice (laughs) sweet (laughs) um so, obviously, coming off a huge win against Tennessee uh, without Trey Waters, which is massive. Um, Javante Smart was... was Unreal. A, yeah, he was an absolute beast. Um, and that's they beat Tennessee with Nas Reed scoring one point, was it? Five. Zero. Well, I think he hit a foul shot at the end in overtime. Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: He, was, he made zero field goals, that's right. My bad.
0: Yeah. So, Nas Reed was absolutely non-existent despite playing 30-plus minutes.
1: So, literally, their two best players essentially didn't play. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> and they won. Um, so, it was Javante Smart. <clears throat> and, I mean, Bigby Williams played really good defense, um, really st- held Grant Williams to struggle quite a bit. Um, Grant turned it around at the end where they needed buckets. Um, he showed just how good he is to be able to catch the ball sort of the top of the key and, and go get a bucket. Um, but LSU has been playing really, really well, uh, and they have a ton of potential in the tournament. To, I mean, they're getting hot right now, and that's perfect timing for them, so I'm excited for them in the tournament.
1: Yeah, and um, in their last four games, they beat Kentucky and Rupp and uh, Tennessee at home, so <laughs> I'm not sure what more you'd need to see to say that they're hot, but... Um, yeah, that's that's awesome. They have so much length on that team that I think that's honestly the number one reason they beat Tennessee, in my opinion. But um, they have a, a great match of good guards that can handle the ball and make plays and just size on size on size. Um, and that's a legit top 10 team that is going to have a lot to say in the, in the next few weeks. Um, but my... So that's my, that's my, that would be my second pick. My top rising team um, that we have talked about probably ten times on here saying, please find an offense, please find an offense, please find an offense, is Texas Tech. The number one defense in the country, and it's really not close, and they found an offense. Their last five games, they're averaging 81 points a game, and that's not just against teams that don't know how to play defense. That's against <laughs> West Virginia, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, and Kansas, um, they just hung 91 points on Kansas and beat it by 29 points. I know Kansas isn't the Kansas we're used to, but that's ridiculous for Texas Tech. Um, they have – Culver has still been himself, but now they're getting tons of contributions from guys like Moretti, from guys like Mooney. Um, everybody's, everybody's stepping on the team, but specifically Moretti and Mooney have been amazing this last like month or so. Um, So, that's another team that's a legit top-ten team. And if they continue to play offense this way, they are absolutely in the conversation for national championship.
0: Yeah, I mean, they've been – that game against Kansas is insane. Like, everything was going their way. They were efficient, Um, knocking down jumpers, getting in transition, scoring in the half court. Like, whatever they could do, they were doing against Kansas. And, I mean – They've, they don't have Vick they don't have um, Azabuki, uh, they don't have the depth that they normally have, but that's still a good defensive team. I mean, they still have D J Lawson, they still have... Um,
1: Dotson, Dotson. Dotson
0: like I mean, these guys are five-star recruits, they, they play well on both sides of the ball. And yeah, Texas Tech is another team that's hitting their stride at the perfect time. Um, and I think they could even surpass what they did last year. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, those two teams are really turning around. <clears throat> Man, I'm dying over here. <clears throat> yeah, I got you for a few seconds. So, LSU is the,
1: is the young team we talked about, what, probably a couple weeks ago now. Um, that had all the talent in the world. It was just a matter of putting it together. Um, and we said they're probably a year, a year early, um, but they are absolutely rolling. Uh, Will Wade has them playing amazing. He just got subpoenaed by the FBI, so hopefully that doesn't slow too much down. But um, they have, they have a very, very talented class of freshmen that a lot of people don't know their names, uh, and they're trying to make very certain that people learn their names and they have a, a star point guard in Trey Waters that can take them pretty much where they want to go. Um, that's going to be a special team to watch coming up here uh, and actually has a legit chance to win the SEC because Tennessee has to play Kentucky again, and they both have two losses now. Um, but that's <laughs> to say that LSU has a chance to win the SEC is something I was not at all anticipating. Um, and same thing for Texas Tech. I think Texas Tech was picked in the middle or back half of the Big 12 this year. Um, i It's not quite clear that they're going to be able to win the Big 12 yet. They really need Kansas to beat Kansas State tonight. But um, just to be in the conversation and to be a top-ten team and, and be where they are right now is absolutely insane and speaks to the coaching ability of Chris Beard to take this team to where they are right now. Um, so two young, really good coaches that have gotten – a lot more out of what their rosters are giving them.
0: Yeah, for sure, um, and I don't think their their streak is done yet. So look out for them. Don't you don't want to be on their side. I hope uh, um, they don't fall on a team that I like to root for. So, <laughs> um, but yeah. So let's talk about teams who stink. There's an endless list. We could do this all night. Yeah, we talked about this before. We were coming up with a list, and finding teams that were playing well was pretty hard, but finding teams that aren't playing well is pretty easy. (laughs) I'll let you go first, since I don't think you'll take mine. (laughs) All
1: right. Uh, So this team has literally started rolling backwards. Um, (laughs) They've fallen out of the top 25 this week. They are just a mess. Um, That's Villanova. They started the season very slow, as we mentioned uh, when we talked about the Big East. They got super hot and ran off, like, 10 or 11 straight, and now they just completely are even worse than they were to start the season. They've lost four of their last five, three in a row, um, and, and to really, really bad teams. Not bad teams, but to teams that they should not be close to losing to. Um, coming off a loss to, to Xavier, they have... Uh, They have a loss to Georgetown, St. John's, and Marquette. Um, Those are not as bad. They're three straight road games that they just lost. Um, But they really got manhandled by Georgetown. Georgetown, just quickly, but if you look at their schedule and their losses, Georgetown has a lot of losses early in the year by, like, two, three points that if they turned, like, half of those around, they're in the tournament as, like, a sixth seed. Um, But still, Villanova should not have – three losses in a row they should not have lost four of the last five Uh, we talked about their offensive struggles a little bit when we hit on them earlier but they still are back in the same type of position just really relying on phil booth mainly and eric pascal also Um, and they're just not getting enough out of those guys mostly because that's not those guys aren't meant for that type of role Um, they're better as a second option on a good team Uh, so villanova's going backwards in a hurry um they still have one of the best coaches in the game and they're still gonna be a tournament team, but they're going from like the three, four line conversation to like a six or seven line conversation pretty quick here. Uh and I I'm not so certain they're gonna win their first
0: round game. Yeah, I think they're trending uh they're ultimately gonna end up at eight and have a really difficult matchup. Uh so yeah, I'm worried about Villanova. They it's like they don't have any answers. Um, I think they need to sort of get back to the drawing board and look at the rotations and try to figure out ways to take pressure off of Phil Booth and Pascal because it's just not working right now. They're not scoring the ball. I could tell you somebody that they could use. Yeah, I know. It's wild that they they (laughs) might have an option on the bench. But um. But his
1: birth certificate's too young, so he's not allowed. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah. so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think Villanova's gonna be a threat even if they win their first game, they're gonna run into a one seed or a two seed in the second round. Um,
1: and mind you, this is a team that won two of the last three championships. So <laughs>
0: yeah, so um, yeah, they're not, they're not playing great. Um, the team that I'm gonna pick is <clears throat> um, your favorite conference, the Big Ten. Oh boy go with Michigan. <laughs> um, so heading into February they were 20 and 1. Um, and now February is coming to an end. They have one last game in the month of February and they're 24 and 4. So they're They're
1: um, also going to lose their first game in the month of March.
0: <laughs> we'll see about that.
1: 20,000 strong going to make sure of it, I promise.
0: Um But yeah, I mean they're they're 4 and 3 in their last seven. Um and just not playing well. Uh, the game against Maryland, if they didn't get out, if they don't go out, get out to that huge lead in the first half, uh, I think they lose that game at home. Um,
1: you mean if Maryland was on the court to start the game? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> if Maryland had a play <laughs> on offense. Yeah,
1: um, we did it. Just involved us giving it to the other team. Yeah. We were running handoffs.
0: I think. I think. Um, Michigan was up, what, nine at halftime?
1: Yeah, we had, like, 15 turnovers in the
0: first half, and that's
1: not even an exaggeration. I think we actually had 15.
0: Yeah. I know at one point in the first half they had 13, so they yeah. may have gone up to 15. But anyway, like, Michigan, I mean, they pulled that one out. It was a lot closer than the final score. Um, the second half, Michigan, or Maryland, got within two. Um, they didn't play great against Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota is just missing a piece to be competitive. Um, they, got, um, they lost at Penn State, uh, lost to Michigan State, lost to Iowa. Um, yeah, a lot of these weren't really that, that close. Uh, I know it was a six-point loss to Penn State, seven-point loss to Michigan State, but I, I never felt like Michigan was in these games, and their offenses seems to be really struggling, um, and they're not defending um, through the whole game that they, they normally were, especially in the beginning of the year. Um, so they're starting to fall off a little bit.
1: Yeah, that loss to Michigan State. Um, what was that, yesterday? Um, that That's Michigan State without Nick Ward and without Josh Langford and Michigan at home, and at literally no point in that game, I know it was close the whole first half, but at no point do I feel like Michigan was going to win that game. They, I don't understand how they cannot be a good team because their offense – the the caliber of talent on their offense is ridiculous, and they don't really get anything out of it. Um, and this, I know, I keep harping on the Big Ten, but just because the bottom half of a league can beat the top half doesn't mean the league is good. That means the top half of the league might not be that good. So I hate when people say, "Oh my God, it's so the bottom can beat the top. They're so deep." No, the top is just not that good. And that's the case in the Big Ten. When you have teams like Penn State and Illinois that can go on the road and beat the top of the league, that doesn't mean the league is good. That honestly to me means the opposite because Illinois is not that good. (laughs) There's my soapbox and I'm off of it. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say.
0: Damn it. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, I do agree with the Big Ten. uh, You can't point to one team like you feel confident that they can go win any game. Um, So – yeah, they're, they're, it's an interesting conference. Um, I don't think that a Final Four team is in there. Uh, I just, I don't know. And the way Michigan's played, I really liked them in the beginning of the year, um, all the way through January, only having one loss to Wisconsin at Wisconsin. Um, but the way they played in February has just not been convincing to me. So I, they're a team that can easily turn it around because of the talent they have on offense um, and because of how good they can be on defense. If they can put a whole game together on defense and and have some semblance of an offense, they, they can figure it out. But I, I don't think that happens.
1: Anyone that's listening to this, I will give you the whole Big Ten, and I can have the field to win the national championship and you get five to one odds. And I'll say yes, no matter who you are. Oh, absolutely. I'm in on that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Done deal. Yeah. Sign me up for that one. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that, that's – those are teams that have been stinking lately. Uh, <laughs> There's more. We just narrowed it down. <laughs> yeah. And you, want, you want any, any honorable mentions? Uh, I've,
1: I've honestly fallen off the Tennessee bandwagon a little bit. I'm not saying they're stinking, but I've t- I recently actually taken them out of my national championship uh, select few. As you know, I've really narrowed down my – my championship picks. Yeah, just two. Um, <clears throat> I, I still have Tennessee there. I think that, I mean, I guess I can talk about it because I've knocked some teams out. But realistically, personally, at, at this time right now, I would be very surprised if it wasn't Duke, Kentucky, Gonzaga. And I'll still leave Virginia in there uh, and North Carolina. There's my, Those are my five that I think if one of those five doesn't win it, I'd be pretty much shocked right now. Um, so I've really knocked out the big 10, obviously. And Tennessee just, I, they can really be bothered by length, which they were against LSU. And I just don't feel that they get a consistent enough offensive performance. Um, like, like I, I don't love the way that they play their offense because it's, first of all, it's all like elbow jump shots and Grant Williams layups and that's fine. But obviously we know the two pointers kind of died in the last few years. Um, but it's teams like the Spurs and obviously there's other teams that can make that work and win with that. Um, But I just don't, they don't give me a good feeling. (laughs) Like they were, they were up 10 or something at LSU without Tremont waters and they didn't win that game. Um, They got just absolutely hammered by Kentucky. Uh, We'll see what happens this weekend with that. But they just, I don't think that, I wouldn't be shocked if they were in the championship game, but as of right now, they're just not on my contender
0: list. Just wanna point out Jordan Bone was hurt or sick. Yeah. Not feeling well. Um, I and mean, Grant Williams wasn't himself, so uh, I'm still confident Tennessee can get it done. Um, but uh, i I just moved
1: him from a final four team to an elite eight team, basically.
0: <laughs> fair, fair. I can see that no, I I'm like I'm not saying that they're guaranteed to go to Final Four or Championship, I'm saying like I can, I can definitely see them losing an Elite Eight, Sweet Sixteen game.
1: Yeah, you still have them in, in your in
0: your group of possible champions. Yeah, exactly. Um, but my honorable mention for a team, well, besides Kansas, they've had some weird um, things going on. I don't know. I guess there's not as
1: many teams that. Well, Virginia kind of has not been themselves recently. Yeah. I still think they're good enough, though, because they have the offensive firepower. and they, They're kind of like Michigan. I just trust them more because <laughs> like their roles are more defined than Michigan, I think.
0: Yeah, no, that's true. Um, but I guess the Louisville, the team that I really like, but just can't figure out how to hold on to a lead. Um, Iowa State's really
1: taken a hit recently, too, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, that's weird, because, like, when they play bad, they are terrible. Yeah, if they don't shoot it well, the the wheels are just parked.
1: They're, <laughs> everything's, it's awful. It's, like, it's ugly when they don't shoot it well.
0: Yeah, no, like, especially if they're playing on the road, like, mm-hmm. it, they look like an IT team. It's weird. Um, it's very bad. But, yeah, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll get into the American, whatever, copy I keep forgetting it's so so new to me (laughs) American Athletic there it is just as AAC we'll get to that one what are we doing first Temple yeah all right hold on
1: jones played in the tournament in each of his three seasons at temple as a junior the owls caught a break in their bracket
0: somebody always gets upset and uh, i never forget uh, the first round arizona got beaten by uh, i think it was santa clara i'd probably never forget i think it was santa clara santa clara beat arizona we beat missouri i mean we knew we was going to beat missouri but So we're going to get into Temple. Um, they are currently fourth in the American Athletic Conference um, at 27. Their starting lineup um, is Shiz Alston at Point with Nate Pierre-Lewis in the backcourt with him. Then have a decent-sized front court with Quentin Rose, J.P. Mormon, um, and Justin Hamilton with Alani Moore, um, Devondre Perry, um, in earnest, coming off the bench. I apologize. I don't know how to say his last name. <laughs> I don't either, so I can't really help you out. <laughs> I'm just gonna call him Ernie. Again, <laughs> I only watch the games in silence. I don't <laughs> listen to the. What's my excuse? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, it's not like he plays a ton. So um, yeah,
1: that's my excuse. I didn't think you're gonna get
0: that far in the depth chart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I mean that's maybe a little bit of Damien Moore Um, but really with their their um, offense really comes down to she's Alston Quentin Rose and Devondre Perry Um, those are the three main guys for for Temple Um, carry a lot of the the scoring load and a lot of um, although Perry's kind of having a down year um, not shooting the ball great but Um, Alston and Quentin Rose have been really good for um, Temple this year. Um, So what do you think of those two guys?
1: Yeah, for me, it's mostly even Shiz Alston. Um, Quentin Rose is definitely, I think, their second option, but they really go as Shiz Alston goes. He has a ton of, like, how Kemba and Shabazz Napier and those guys used to play. Um, I guess we'll go with Shabazz since his name is Shiz. We can kind (laughs) of compare him that way, but... He has all of that in him, um, the, the killer mentality when the game's on the line, the shake you and get to the hoop, um, easily can get to the paint whenever he wants. Uh, he doesn't – his assist numbers are up a lot this year, but I would like to see him get other people involved a little bit more. Um, I know, obviously, when you talk about Temple, it's different from talking about a team like Kentucky, Kansas, Duke, that you don't just have talent all around. Um, but i he has got like Quentin Rose is a really good second option. Um, and then he has, he has other shooters on the team that aren't shooting great. Like I think JP Mormon's a a decent shooter. Um, and Napier Lewis is definitely more of a slasher, but, uh, there's enough ability at least on the team that he can get more people involved. Uh, But like I said, he is, he's a true like New York city type guard. I honestly think he is from New York city too. too. Nope. Maybe not. (laughs) All right. Well, anyways, um, He plays like a New York city guard where he just puts his head down and attacks. Um, and he's a fun guy to watch. I, I, if, if you can get them in a big game, I think they have like that UCF game to end the season. They play UCF on March 9th. Um, that game as of right now, probably the winner of that game is going to the tournament. Um, if some other teams fall off on the bubble, both those teams might be able to make it in if it's a close game, but, um, there's gonna be a lot on the line in that game, and that's the type of game that Shiz Alston just absolutely thrives in. Uh, and then Quentin Rose is is a good sized big guard. Um, he has a he doesn't do anything great really, but he he's good with the ball in his hands. He can get to the hoop not as easy easily as Shiz Alston, but he's like a nice attacking wing type player in college. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit of of Quentin Grimes' type of style of play, like he settles for too many jump shots, but he, his attacking ability is is up there with with Grimes, where he could get to the rim almost at ease if he wanted to, but he doesn't do it enough. Um, but other than those two guys, they don't have a whole lot to hang their hat on, um, which I think the fact that they're in the title or in the title, yeah, right, in the in the tourney conversation speaks to, first of all, how good their guard play has been and second of all how bad the bubble is and lastly how good of a coach Fran dumpy is um, just consistently gets temple involved in the conversation they've already knocked off houston this year with houston's loss one loss um, and they've they just always play tough competitive games against good teams uh, really no matter who it is if it's a good team that's coming into philly to play temple it's going to be a close game uh, and that just speaks to the culture and the, the teams that he always has in there. Um, so that's why they're always involved because it's going to be a fight no matter what. And uh, that's gotten them the 10 and 4 in the conference, which is important because their conference is really four teams deep. Um, if you want to include Memphis, you could and say they're five teams deep, but Memphis is definitely a, a couple, at, at least a year away with Penny getting in there the first year. Um, stinks that we can't talk about them because they're not good enough, but... Uh, their, Temple is at least putting themselves in the conversation, which is more than I expected to start the year.
0: Yeah, yeah. I and mean, Temple's always they're a fun team to watch because um, they're decent defensively. Um, they're not up there anywhere near Texas Tech, but um, they do a good job of um, just playing within themselves. Uh, they turn the teams over a little bit, which is um, more than you can say for a lot of the teams in the American Conference. Um, and then they take care of it pretty well. So, I mean, they're overall. They're yeah,
1: they, they match like Cincinnati and Houston, where they, they're in your shorts the whole game and just make you not want to play them.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, their defensive numbers are, are solid because of their effort, not because of their individual abilities to defend. Um, they have some decent post bigs. Um, that can defend and block some shots but um, overall it's a, very much a team defense that they play um, and they just try to outwork you um, but yeah, I mean, with with Shiz Alston carrying the offense um, if um, Devondre Perry can turn it around um, get his shot going uh, Quentin Rose can knock down some jumpers uh, more consistently and Pierre Lewis um, become more of a shooting threat uh, I know that's a lot of ifs but <laughs> uh, they're all capable of doing it. You know, if they can get some more offensive output from those guys, uh, I would love to see these, this team in the tournament because when that when those bright lights come up, I think they really are there for the task and play even harder. Um, so once that tournament light comes on, I think they could be a dangerous team to a team that may overlook them.
1: Yeah, and I, I we haven't gotten it out yet, obviously, but just – I recently redid the bracketology. Um, I've done our third, third version of it now, um, and and Temple for me is still solidly on the bubble of the 11-12 line. Uh, usually they do an, the 11 seeds are like the last four in where they do the playing games, but I keep seeing uh, Joe and already have them as the 12 seeds that are the last playing or last four in. At least two of them are the last four in. So since he knows way more than I do in that stuff. <laughs> Um, that's why I say they're either 11 or 12. Cause I think they're one of the last four teams in uh, and I think they will be in Dayton. Um, that's assuming they win three, their last three games and then just keep it close with UCF. I, this bubble, you'll see it when we put the bracket out, but if you want to do a bracket yourself, this bubble sucks.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: like you are going to get a bad team in the tournament. And that's just how this season's gone. But, um, I not, I'm not saying temple's bad. I've, Firmly believe they're one of the 68 best teams in the country, and I would love to see Austin have a go at at some 11 seed in the in Dayton and put up 35 and just make a, a fun game. But um, yeah, for me, they're, they're they're in the tournament right now. Um, if they win their last four games and, and can knock off UCF, that would be that would definitely solidify it for me.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think max two wins if you consider the play-in game for them yeah I I think that that covers everything on Temple Um, we will get into um, who do you want to do next UCF UCF I mean, we're an up-and-coming school. We're an up and school. up school. Second largest school in the nation. Who's number one? Doesn't matter. We're an up-and-coming school. Marcus Jordan isn't one of my classes. His dad may be coming to the game tonight. I don't know. I don't understand why we don't get better recruits. I mean, we've had some talented people here in the past. Asante Samuel. Brandon Marshall. Kevin Smith. Dante Culpepper. for the University of Central Florida. Um, National champions
1: in football last year, or two years ago. <laughs> oh, yeah. If you look at their stadium,
0: you'd say so, because it's <laughs> on the damn wall. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, so, UCF, better known as, um, they have a starting lineup of Terrell Allen um, and B.J. Taylor, um, sort of a combo point guard front, uh backcourt. Um, with Aubrey, Dawkins, Colin Smith, and the massive Taco Fall Taco Tuesday, <laughs> um, and then off the bench, Frank Burtz, um, Dan Griffin, Chad Brown. Um, not a huge, not a deep bench. Um, <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> they sort of just rotate their starters through different positions, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but obviously. If you watch a UCF game, about 60% of the broadcast is going to talk about Taco Fall um, because he's 7'6", 3'10". Um, he's come a long way since he sort of showed up on campus. Um, if you Honestly, if you watch them play, Colin Smith is his sort of front-court partner. He's 6'11". He makes him look like he's a shooting guard. Um, just massive, massive guy. Um, but he's really developed um, his game, got in better shape. Um, is able to to force defenses to really guard him um, before where they could just sort of push him out um, and not really worry about him. He's got developed his touch uh, against um, SMU the other day. They actually dominated him, and he had I think sixteen and thirteen in the first half or something like that. Um, so he's been playing a lot better. Uh, but Colin Smith is someone I really like. Uh, we talked about it earlier. Um, sort of plays like every Kansas big he's ever played. Um, besides Dedrick Lawson, sort of an athletic four that sets screens, plays with a ton of energy, finishes around the rim. Um, he's I think he's a really good player. Um, but you want to talk a little bit more about their backcourt?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, specifically with BJ Taylor, Terrell Allen is really, uh, he's like the true pass first type point guard. He really doesn't take a ton of shots. He's a good three point shooter, but he's only taken 51 on the year. Um, he's, he's literally in there to, to move the ball and just basically provide any help to BJ Taylor in that aspect, because taco, you throw the ball inside, it's not coming back out. Colin Smith isn't really a ball handler. Um, and I mean, isn't someone that's going to play with the ball in his hands and make plays? He's really just going to get passes and score. Um, and then Aubrey Dawkins is more of a, a scorer. So really, Terrell Allen and BJ are the, are the go-to playmakers. Um, Terrell Allen, like I said, is is a consistent, nice option, but he's not going to he's not going to wow anybody. Um, and that's for me. BJ Taylor is the wow factor on this team. I think BJ Taylor is one of the best. Uh, I'd say one of the 10 best guards in the country. Um, I, he's super athletic. He can get to the hoop. He can make his own jump shots up, pull up at the elbow and make those. He can knock down the three. He's only shooting 38% this year. Um, I say only, but I think he's a better shooter than that. Uh, doesn't turn it over. Just really consistent guard. Um, and when the game's on the line, the ball's going to be in his hands and he's going to go make a play. Uh, and then with that, I'll include, I'll include Aubrey, Aubrey Dawkins in the, uh, in the guard aspect of it, um, Johnny Dawkins is the coach UCF. Aubrey's his son, obviously. Um, the, he's he's an interesting player because he I think he's playing better than he actually is right now. Uh, but he's long, he's athletic. He obviously has a great bloodline, um, and and he can really shoot it. He's he's pretty much their their true shooter on the team. Um, they don't take a ton of threes. They really, honestly, don't take any at all. Uh, but he. He's taken the most of them. He's made the most of them. Um, and, and he's the guy that's going to take a three if they need it. Uh, but those three guys, I think, are, like, the consistent, uh, calm, which I think is the best word I can use for all three of those guys because no matter what the situation is, they play within themselves and they generally make the right play. Aubrey a little bit less than the other two. But, um, yeah, I think, I think this team should have made the tournament last year, like, talent-wise. I think they're, they've they always been good. It's just, I think, you, I mean, you said it, and I'll let you talk about it a little more, but they really play through Taco Fall, which I think
0: is wrong. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating to watch them sometimes because despite Taco's uh, vast improvements, um, they a lot of times will spend a majority of the possession. And when I say this, I'm not joking. They spend about 15 seconds. Um, which is half the, the shot clock of trying to get the ball to taco fall, um, So it's, it's, just, it's just too much for them. I don't know. It's frustrating to watch.
1: I mean, it makes, it makes sense, too, because he shoots 77% from the field, which is just – I don't even get that. But um, it, when he gets the ball, it's not coming back out. And when he gets fouled, This is no exaggeration. He's shooting 34.5% from the free throw line. Um, He has 139 free throws, and he's made less than 50. So that's about all you need to know about that. Um, He – obviously, he can – when he gets the ball, he's going to score if he's within three steps of the rim because he can just literally raise his arm and dunk. Um, And also, not to sell him short, because – He's as you said taking crazy strides, and Johnny Dawkins recently said that he—I can't remember who the other one was—but he played with uh, Sean Bradley, and he said if we were in like those times, like 15, 20 years ago, Taco Fall would be a top ten pick in the draft because he has way more talent than those guys have had, than those guys had, and uh, has grown into his body a little bit better. Obviously, in today's NBA, Taco Fall doesn't fit too well, um, but he, Taco can have so. The, the best way I can describe Taco is Sunday they played against SMU. They won by 50, well basically 50. Um, Taco Fall played 26 minutes. He had 23 and 20, which is utterly ridiculous. Then Thursday they played Cincinnati. He played 34 minutes, and he had 7 and 4. And he wasn't in foul trouble, and he just went about his business and had 7 and 4. He's so wildly inconsistent because – it, it just—I don't—I don't know how to explain it. Their offense is just weird, um, in that they just try to feature a guy that doesn't actually have post ability. He's just big, so that's how they play. But I don't know. I—I I really like BJ Taylor. That's all I gotta say about that.
0: Yeah, no. I wish they played more through him and not through, not through Taco because I think BJ—I mean the way he's shooting, he's taking. Seven point four free throws a game um and shooting him at seventy eight percent so his ability to get to the to the rim and get fouled i think would increase even more if they can um get taco out of the out of the paint and um, give him b j some more space to operate so I don't know I think their offense could be retooled, but yeah i mean. The Miami Heat scouts were there, and uh, I'm sure they were looking at Taco Fall and BJ Taylor. Um, but I, I can see why Johnny Dawkins is saying he would have been a top ten pick, um, because he does have a ton of size. He does have um, he does have a lot of skill. His jump, his shot is just has a hitch. If you see his hands almost switch midair when he's shooting, like he almost goes from right-handed to left-handed, um, and that really affects his shot. But I mean, this team's a solid team, and I think if they play um, in the tournament, uh, they'll give somebody a lot of problems.
1: Yeah, and I mean, we we didn't hit on it yet, but their their defense is the reason they're good. Uh, specifically, their two point defense, because obviously, if you have a guy that's seven foot six standing underneath the rim, it's pretty hard to score. Uh, but they they also have. That's also misleading because their guards are are pretty good defenders. They have all good size. Aubrey Dawkins is a legit 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, um, as you said, Smith is big. Uh, and and they're, they're able to get in a stance and guard. So their defense is what makes them go for sure. Um, and they take a ton of free throws, which is also really good for the tournament. But <laughs> the guy that shoots the most of them is their worst free throw shooter. So their free throw percentage is really bad because Tacos is really bad and he shoots a ton of free throws. But... Overall, the, the rest of the team is great free-throw shooters. Um, and then just at, you'll see when we release our bracketology thing, we've done, like, why teams are losing to other teams and, and stuff like that that you'll see. But UCF's losses, they've turned the ball over a ton. And this kind of is along the lines of teams like Virginia, Wisconsin. Um, UCF plays slow. They make you play slow because they're good defenders, and it's really hard to get an open look, uh, again, with a guy that's seven foot six in the middle. So it takes a lot off the shot clock, which limits the amount of possessions in a game. And when that's the case, the more times you turn it over in a low-possession game, obviously less shots are getting up. And when you don't shoot, you can't score. So they really struggle um, to score when they turn the ball over a lot, which is why you'll see them with games like they have a couple losses. They lost to Memphis and only scored 57 points. Cincinnati only scored 55 points. Missouri, 62 Um, So, generally, when they lose, it's because they can't score because they turn the ball over a lot.
0: Yeah, and that Missouri game is in overtime, too, so they had extra. (laughs) Yeah, especially. But yeah, I mean, they do play a great defensive team. They're a great defensive team. And it's amazing how many guards in the American Conference will try to score a layup on Taco Ball. I mean, SMU, I think, had like what, 14 points in the first half or something? Yeah. And the amount of times they went into the paint, just get their shot blocked or altered. He um, also
1: blocks it without jumping most of the time.
0: Oh, yeah. He does a lot of things without jumping. But <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, and if, if they're able to um, really control the ball, control the tempo, and um, get good shots, they're going to make it very difficult for teams to beat them uh, because of that slow pace. I mean, they're ranked 307th in pace of play, so um, they're, yep. they're going to be a tough team to play.
1: Yeah, and they're in a tough spot, a little bit tougher than Temple. Uh, right now, I have them as a 10 seed in our bracket, but um, they have South Florida, Houston, Cincinnati, and Temple. So Houston and Cincinnati, obviously, is, those are going to be tough. Ken Palm thinks they're going to beat Cincinnati. Um, personally, I'd be surprised if that happened. But uh, And then on the road at Temple, like they have – in my opinion, they're going to lose their last three games, um, which would bring them to twenty-one and nine on the year, um, good and good ten, luck. Uh, yeah, eleven and seven in conference. So, uh, I don't know that that does it to get them in the tournament, especially because they wouldn't. They have two. They would have two losses to Houston and Cincinnati, which are their chances to have marquee wins. Um, and on their schedule, realistically, their best win right now might be. Western Kentucky, Northern Kentucky. Those are two teams that could win their conference and make the tournament. But other than that, they're not really beating any tournament teams. So, um, I think they're going to need to knock off one of Houston or Cincinnati to, to make sure that they're comfortable in the tournament. Um, uh, but like I said, with this bubble, who knows? Cause some, you gotta have 68 teams. so Somebody's going to have to make it. Yeah.
0: It'll be interesting to see how this, how they end up, um, but yeah, I think that, that covers them. So we'll, we'll get into uh, Cincinnati next. Action! Alright, let stop playing. Yo, check it. Yo, yo, four years ago, I thought I need love until I met this one girl that was sweet as a dog. Ooh, too smooth with it. Stay light
1: with it, man. My SK, night with it. Woo-hoo. Nah, my man just hit that track, go
0: crazy on it.
1: You Yo already know how he do. Something smooth. That's
0: it, man. We done. Holla, man. So now we're going to jump into Cincinnati. Um, a team that's has been good for the last few years. Um, they were two seed last year. Um,
1: uh, yeah. Austin, Nevada.
0: Yep. Um, but this year, uh, bring back some of the uh, main guys from last year. Um, their starting lineup is uh, Justin Jett, Jennifer. Um, as their point guard, Jaron Cumberland, really their go-to guy, um, with Keith Williams, Trey Scott, and Nazir Brooks with Kane Broom. Um, Trevor Moore, Keith Williams, um, also starts and comes off the bench. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they rotated a ton of different guys coming off the bench. Um, but really, Kane Broom, um, Logan Johnson... Rashawn Fredericks are sort of the main guys. Um, but what do you think about Cincinnati?
1: I mean, they are – Jaron Cumberland is Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is Jaron Cumberland, basically. Um, he He's a stud. I said on their Twitter account probably uh, – I think it was when they played Houston, actually, but I said there's no way there's 20 people in the country that are better than Jaron Cumberland. Basically, that was me saying he should be on the Naismith watch list. Um, or, sorry. What an award. Watch this. Jeez. You, look what you made me do. <laughs> um, anyways, yeah, he's really good. Um, he he really does it all. He can handle the ball. He's a big body. He can actually post up and score more than he does. Um, he's a knockdown shooter. And, again, this is the theme of the American Conference, but defense is what wins in this conference. Uh, and it's, it's not <laughs> – it's not the average defense. It's like the I'm going to literally punch you in the mouth defense. <laughs> like we're going to line up and fight, and whoever wins the fight wins. Um, that's the Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, Wichita State, like just Temple teams like that that just really fight you for forty minutes. Um, so yeah, they like every Cincinnati team ever. They're one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the country, and they get to the line a ton um, generally because they have good bigs this year. With the loss of Gary Clark, their bigs aren't as good. Um, Obviously, losing a guy to the NBA, you're going to take a little bit of a hit, but they still have plenty of talent in their front line. Um, But, yeah, overall, Justin Jennifer has been huge for them. He's really taken significant steps forward. Last year, there was a lot of talk of him almost not being on the roster this year to now being probably their second-best player. Um, And there's a lot to like about the Cincinnati team. There's also a lot to be a little nervous about. Um, Sometimes I think they get a little too chaotic, kind of how the shock of smart VCU days with that wreak havoc type deal. Um, You can kind of get yourself out of control. They don't play that way. They don't full court press all the time and everything, but they can speed themselves up, which I think is a little dangerous for them. They do protect the ball great though. So I don't even know why I say that, but just, just the gut feeling. Um, And if you look at their losses, it's really they lose when they don't shoot the three well. Um, and, and overall, as a team, on paper, they're shooting them. Like, Justin Jennifer is knocking down 45% of his threes, and he's taking 100, which is incredible. Jaron Cumberland is a lights-out three-point shooter, 43%. He's he's an amazing three-point shooter. Uh, but beyond that, basically, they have a bunch of people that should not shoot threes. Um, so, when essentially, when those guys do shoot threes, they're going to lose the game is basically how it's
0: been. Yeah, yeah. The the main offense comes from their backcourt. Um, what they need is when if Cumberland or Jennifer if they're if neither one is really getting good looks or not shooting the ball well, they need these guys to be aggressive, um, on the offensive glass but also getting the ball inside and scoring around the rim. I think a guy like Trey Scott is someone who should should certainly be um, stepping up his offensive game when those guys are off, uh, he can get to the, to the free throw line. I think he's a strong athletic forward. So if those guys aren't hitting the ball or shooting the ball well, um, Trey Scott really needs to step up. Uh, same with Keith Williams. Um, someone who's not shooting the ball well, but uh, can still um, step up when they need him. But, yeah, I mean, defensively, they are a very physical team. Um, and they love to play slow. Um, they make
1: that actually drives me nuts.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I think they should play more up and down because I think Cumberland is really effective in transition. Um, but they make UCL UCF play look like Kentucky, um, so um, or like Duke, where they play up and down, um, and that's how slow they play. So if if they're able to pick their spots when they want to go in transition. I think Cumberland can get some easier shots um, and really get a shot going in, in most games if they can give him um, up and down.
1: Yeah, and it's mostly just personal for me, but I hate when teams that can can struggle to score or choose to play slow when you have... Like, they have bigs that can run and can move their feet and get out and just... Literally, they have the Michigan State type bigs. Just go rim to rim as fast as you can. And then they have wings and ball handlers that can create and make plays in space. And I hate when teams have that and don't use it because in college, (laughs) North Carolina and Michigan State are just purely transition teams and then they'll run offense. And there's a reason they're top 10 every single year. I know they have more talent than a team like Cincinnati, but they still utilize the abilities of their players and I hate teams that are just so set in the fact that they need to control tempo because I think if you still play fast offensively, you can still control tempo of the game with your defense, especially a team like this because nothing is coming easy against Cincinnati.
0: Yeah, and Really what controlling tempo is is taking care of the ball, making smart decisions. You can make the smart decision to transition. And A few coaches have said it um, now that I've seen where you got to think about it this way where why would you give up an easy shot in transition to work even harder in a half court offense to get that same easy shot? Right. Um, so I think they really need to to pick and choose when they go into transition. Um, they don't have to become an, all of a sudden become a UNC um, and start averaging ninety possessions a game, but um, they need to play to their strengths. And Jaron Cumberland's their strength. Um, They're athletic their entire team is athletic and strong and can really get up and down. So, I mean, play to that strength.
1: Yeah, I've, but with that being said, they're still, uh, I think I have them, sorry, I wasn't ready for this one. I think I, I have them as a seven seed right now. Um, I think they'll probably move up from that just because some of those middle-of-the-pack teams are going to lose a, a early-round game in their conference tournament. Uh, but if you want to watch quite the basketball game, Sunday, March 10th, which will be the last day of the regular season. Houston plays Cincinnati at Cincinnati, uh, and I don't think Cincinnati's over their last loss to Houston yet. So that's a game where you you wear your boxing gloves and <laughs> you hope you get out alive.
0: Yeah, that's going to be a very physical game. Um, a lot's riding on that game. Um, yeah, anything else on Cincinnati? That
1: actually... I think that game could be for the, the regular season champion. If Cincinnati wins their next three, because they have, so they both be 15, uh, Cincinnati would be 15 and two and Houston would be 16 and one going into that game. Um, so I don't know what the second tiebreaker is, but at least it'd be a conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's margin of victory. I don't know. we will have to look it up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's either way, it's going to be an intense game, um, especially coming off of a game at Central Florida. Right. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think that wraps up uh, Cincinnati. Uh, we'll get into Houston next.
1: still one of the most exciting plays in basketball, the
0: slam dunk, and nobody does it better than Hakeem Olajuwon. Hakeem, the last time I talked to you, your family was still in the cement business, I think, over in Nigeria. They out of that now?
1: They sold the business. What do you do if you need a sack of cement? (laughs) I can still call them. They have the contacts.
0: For the last team in the American Athletic Conference, we're going to get into Houston. Um, so Houston right now is sort of leading the conference. Um, what are they ranked right now? I think in the AP, they're...
1: Ninth, I think.
0: Eighth in the AP. I think in the coaches' poll, they got up all the way to six. Damn. Um, yeah, so in the coaches' po- USA Today coaches' poll, they're Six. Um, I don't know if you if thought,
1: top, if you thought they were a top 10 team at this point in the season, you're a liar. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, we all like, I mean, so they lost Rob Gray, um, from last year who was their primary ball handler and really did a ton for them.
1: And single handedly almost beat Michigan.
0: Yeah. Um, and they've almost gotten better, uh, since he's left. So the way they line up is, um, Robinson at point guard, Core Davis, um, sort of sharing some of those duties as well with Armani Brooks. Um, almost, you can almost argue it's a four guard lineup uh, with Cedric Alley, um, and then Chris Harris in the point er, in um, at the center. Um, Dejan Drew um, comes off the bench with Nate Hinton, uh, Fabian White, and Brinson Gresham, uh, and that's sort of their rotation. Um, but, I mean, they're a team that doesn't rely necessarily on just one guy. Um, They really play as a team, Um, and you see that when you watch their team because whoever has the hot hand, they sort of get the ball to. So what do you think about these guys?
1: I just choked at the fact that Armani Brooks has taken 232 threes this year. That's insane, but, um, yeah, I – I mean, I agree with you. I also think that Corey Davis is the guy, um, and I think when they play big games, he's he's been that guy. Uh, they definitely do work the ball around, and whoever is playing well generally will be the uh, at least the second option because um, I still think they'll defer to Corey Davis more often than not. But, like, I, remember, I can't remember the game, but uh, whatever game I was watching, Armani Brooks was – feeling it and Dijon Drew was really feeling it also in the same game and those two guys just kind of got the ball and got to do what they wanted Um, but yeah their only loss so far is Temple Uh, they have they beat LSU St. Louis, Utah State uh, Cincinnati obviously they beat UCF already Uh, so like it's not like most of the schedule has been a cakewalk but they still beat good teams like beating LSU is obviously significant as we talked about uh, but uh, for for them, it's, again, their defense, like the American Conference, as I say, again, um, they, they're number one in effective field goal defense, which is, uh, I talked about Texas Tech already, so I guess that's all I need to say. They're better than Texas Tech at that. Um, and it's it comes from their three-point defense mostly. They're, they're elite, top six, two-point defense as well. But they force you to use shot clock and force you into tough threes all the time, and it's everything is contested. There, I've honestly watched uh, probably five, I think, Houston games start to finish, and I've never seen a shot that was like a truly open jump shot from another team. Like, everything is contested. And if it's not contested, it's like a 35-footer with a second left in the shot clock. Um, so it's, it's again, their defense, and it's, it's interesting because, like you said, they're a small team and play a four-guard lineup. So they – they are generally there's mismatches um, but they play so aggressive and so physical that like you can't even utilize the mismatch because you don't get a chance to breathe let alone think about how to attack it uh, so that's helped them be super successful and again Kelvin Sampson's a great coach um, didn't give any shout out to Nick Cronin but he's another another great coach in in the country and always has his team consistent uh, but he, Kelvin Sampson literally came to Houston and took them off the mat, and has now gotten them to be a top ten team, which is Crazy. just wild.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the, de- defensively, the, what allows them to be so great is their ability to switch, the ability to play different defenses. Um, yep. So they'll play man, they'll play zone, they'll they'll really throw a lot of different things at you. You can't, you never feel comfortable playing against Houston's defense. Um, And I think that's what makes them really effective is the ability to have these guards just running around, switching, um, running at guys, running them off the three-point line, um, making them make a play. uh, And what they're able to do is turn teams over, um, but just realistically just take a bad shot. And you see that all the time Um, when they're playing teams. They'll run them off the three-point line into a contested mid-range jump shot, which... In college basketball is one of the toughest shots that a team can take, Um, so that's that's why you see teams shooting 27% from three and 42 from the field. Um, It just you're never taking good looks, so I mean the way they play defense is always going to put them into the game, no matter what, um, to to really make them have a deep tournament run I think they they have to turn up the offense a little bit
1: yeah that's my biggest fear with them they shoot uh, they shoot a ton of threes I don't have the exact number in front of me but they shoot a lot of threes and they're they're a volume type their team is made up of volume type shooters where realistically they need a lot of threes in order to see if you go down and they'll get hot they're very streaky like that Um, and it's Honestly, it's most of the team that's like that. They don't have, like, a really true knockdown shooter. I think Corey Davis is that, at least close to that. Um, But for a team that shoots basically middle of the pack, three-point percentage-wise, they shoot 35% as a team. Um, But they take a ton of threes. So they're very reliant on the jump shot. Um, And to not shoot that well, the fact that they're that reliant and not shooting it well and still only have one loss is ridiculous. But um, that would be my... True fear with them and their kryptonite, so to speak.
0: Yeah, and the same thing that could be the kryptonite. Kryptonite could be the same reason that they make it to an elite eight or a final four. Right. Um, Live
1: and die by the three, as everyone always says. Yeah,
0: so it's a, they're going to be probably one of the hardest teams to predict um, in the tournament because you don't know what team you're going to get. But I can guarantee you this: every game they play, and it's going to be close um, in the tournament. So just yeah. which way the ball is going to fall for them is sort of determines their fate.
1: And we think most, pretty much 90% of the people that fill out brackets that watch college basketball are going to have the same Elite Eight as everyone else. So we're working really hard to figure out a way to help you with the first few rounds.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's going to be the, the biggest key is finding those right upsets. And I think the consensus public are going to have the wrong upsets. We'll have have the right ones.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're we're setting ourselves up for success. It's just a matter of capitalizing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anything else you want to touch on with Houston? Uh,
1: I think I'm good. So I have them as a three seed right now. Uh, I would find it extremely difficult to see them move up into that two line because as we've talked many times, the top eight really have separated themselves. Um, I know we have them ranked eighth now, but that doesn't mean they're in the top eight, in my opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it'll be tough to get them the to, to two. Um, I also but,
1: think LSU and Texas Tech are ahead of them in that race, um, and it's going to be hard to pass those guys and then have one of the top eight also fall out.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think for them to get to a two, LSU would have to have a loss. Texas Tech would have to lose, and they would have to beat Cincinnati convincingly. Um, yeah. But in the same token, I don't think, um, I think it'll take quite a bit for them to fall to four. I think they're pretty entrenched in that three spot, three seed.
1: Yeah, and if you can't tell, what the, no one knows what could happen. So literally, no matter what we say, the opposite could definitely happen this year. <coughs> Other than the top eight teams, it's just been a wild year. You'll trust me, once you go to pick your bracket you're gonna see very quickly how how similar every team is after the top six to eight teams.
0: Yeah, yeah. And like we've always said, it's gonna depend on the matchup and we'll certainly talk through those. Exactly. Um but yeah, that that wraps up that. Um we'll we'll get into sort of the games to watch this week, um, some picks and then um if Zach has a trade or Whatever you want to do there <laughs> in the study. So, stay with us. Representing the Combat Sports Authority, Mr. Woo! Alright, so what games are we going to watch this week?
1: Alright, so we're coming out of Rivalry Week this past week, which means this is like our, uh, I don't even know what we're looking for, but like a week, weaker type of week. <laughs> Uh, and then next week, we'll pick it back up <laughs> yeah, with Rivalry Week Part 2 yet again. Um, and that's more times than I want to say week ever again. So the games to watch, not this blank, uh, would be Tuesday. <laughs> we have Duke at Virginia Tech. Uh, unfortunately, there's no Zion and no Justin Robinson, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, but two top 25 teams at least. Uh, Cuse at North Carolina. Wednesday, Marquette at Villanova. And then we skip to Saturday. We have Kentucky-Tennessee Part 2. Iowa State at Texas in what I think is a must-win game for Texas. Uh, UCF at Houston. Baylor at Kansas State. Nevada at Utah State. Gonzaga at St. Mary's, which is not actually a game to watch if you've ever watched St. Mary's this year. And Sunday, we have Michigan at Maryland. So what do you got?
0: You go first.
1: (laughs) All right. Like we said, scraping the barrel here. Um, I'm going somewhat somewhat obscure, not really, but uh, Utah State is a team that I think is currently the first four out, um, playing at home against Nevada, who we've talked many times, we think is a little overrated. Uh, I think it's either going to be a pick 'em or Utah State's going to be, or I mean Nevada's going to be a one, one to one and a half point favorite. Uh, I'm going Utah State in that game, I think it's a Super Bowl essentially for Utah State, pretty much a must win if they want to make it into the tournament, into the, uh, into the, what's the word I'm looking for here?
0: Tournament? <laughs>
1: yeah, but the non-automatic qualifier Help me out.
0: Automatic bid? Or, <laughs>
1: oh, the other version.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At large?
1: Yep, there we are. <laughs> Yikes.
0: If it amazes you, then you don't know anything about basketball. You're, you're uh, uh, illuminating your uh, relative lack of knowledge of the game with a statement like that. Yikes.
1: Uh, if they want to make it into the at-large conversation, they're going to need that one. So I'm going to go Utah State. Um, I'm going to say it's going to be a pick so Utah State's just going to straight-up beat them.
0: Wow. I love it. Yeah, doing it. I, I'm pretty sure I picked Utah State to cover last time they played. Um, but, yeah, I'm still going through my picks. I thought you were going to go a little <laughs> bit longer. All right, I'll keep
1: going. Uh, so, also, Sunday, Michigan plays Maryland. uh I'm not going to officially make a pick on this one because I can definitely be wrong because we know how Maryland is, but um, I think Michigan's going to need to play A-plus in order to win that game. Uh, Maryland only loses on the road to ranked teams, but actually at home, they're not that bad. Uh, the environment's going to be wild. That's a that's our... Um, Jesus, I can't think of any words today.
0: Words are hard.
1: That's our flash mob game. There we go. Wow. Uh, if... It's going to be on CBS at 345 on Sunday. Um, Just at, like, we do it to start the second half, so just check out the second half of the game. They should show some of it, but it's pretty cool. We have a a student, like, what do we have? 6,000 students have a flash mob in the middle of the game, basically. Um, And last year when we did it, we played Michigan State, who was a top-five team at the time. Uh, We were up by 15 at halftime and ended up losing the game by four. But um, it's... That environment at Maryland in the flash mob game is very tough for teams to, to win in. Uh, so I think Michigan's going to have their hands full in that game.
0: Yeah. Pick, you got a pick yet? Yeah, I, gotta, I'm gonna, I think I got one. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm just going to go with it. Um, Kentucky at Tennessee. Uh, big revenge game for Tennessee, I think. Um, coming at home, tough loss against LSU. Uh, I think they have a game in between. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I think I think they bounce back strong here um, and beat Kentucky in a close one. I, I think they'll be favored by two and a half points. Um, I think they cover that. Um, but I, I think Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, um, Kyle Alexander, the, the sort of seniors and juniors of that team um, are really going to lead them um, through this game. So um, I think this is a big, big-time statement win for Tennessee.
1: Yeah, they have uh, Old Miss. Right oh, before. right, they
0: play Old Miss. Yeah, I knew that.
1: Um, I am on the other side of that game. I was, at least. But with Reed Travis being out, I don't feel nearly as good as that because I think that was part of the reason they were able to beat Tennessee the first time, Just Reed and PJ's defense on Grant Williams. Um, so with him out, that's going to be – significantly tougher. You're going to see a lot more E.J. Montgomery, I think, and it's going to come down to how he handles that situation, but definitely going to be an awesome game. Tennessee has a whole lot to prove, Um, and I think that, I think Tennessee's going to treat that game as a a must-win situation. I think Kentucky's going to, I don't think they're going to treat it as a must-win, but I think they're going to go in there really wanting to silence that crowd, so that's going to be a lot of fun to watch for sure.
0: Yeah, no, it's going to be a great game, so a lot better than the first one. Um, Yeah.
1: Hopefully.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, But that leads us into a first for this podcast. (laughs)
1: Literally thought of it about three minutes ago. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So, instead of trading a player for a player, um, we have decided to trade a player for a coach. Um, Guess who's getting the coach? (laughs) (laughs) So, Maryland is going to trade a player. And the player that I'm going to trade... I think is gonna be um Aaron Wiggins. Ooh. I'm gonna trade him to Nevada for Eric Musselman. Damn. Um the reason behind that is Wiggins is a good shooter. I think he's much more consistent than um everyone except Jazz Johnson, uh Nevada in shooting. <laughs> um I think he brings a dynamic scoring ability there as well Um, and someone who can play really well off the Martin Twins and Jordan Caroline. Um, And I think Musselman, for me at least, I think he's gone after this year. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of good jobs open, um, including UCLA. Um, So get a player that's going to play there for another two years or so. Um, So what do you think?
1: It's tough for me because I love Aaron Wiggins. I think he's been one of the most consistent players uh, for Maryland all year, but we really need a coach. (laughs) Honestly, uh, I would almost rather give up Jalen Smith. I don't know that Nevada would do that because they don't utilize bigs, but I think Jalen fits their system more than, I mean, obviously if you trade your coach, your system might change, but (laughs) Jalen fits like their kind of five out type style. They like to play. Um, So I would almost rather give up Jalen because Maryland's kind of struggled when they had – somehow you struggle when you have two potential lottery picks on the floor together. I don't know how that's possible. But, um, yeah, if we had to lose Aaron, I think they could handle it because I think Sorrell Smith Jr. is a microwave-type player on the bench that hasn't gotten a ton of opportunity, mostly because Aaron's been so good. But, um, like I said, we need a coach.
0: What do you think of Musselman there?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's done wonders with – limited talent at Nevada to begin with um, and last year like the Martin twins I I know that they're very highly thought of but at NC State they were not very good they were like the third and fourth option on their own team um, and now to go to Nevada and be like the guys minus Jordan Caroline Jordan Caroline um, that team has really not not as talented as people give them credit for and he's done wonders there so I think he could, with the actual talent at Maryland, I think he could
0: crush it. Yeah, so that's our first coach for a player. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that that makes sense for Maryland to get someone that is offensively offensive mind. Like, wow, words are very hard today.
1: <laughs> I'm telling you, I can't even think of any. But
0: you know what I was talking about, but they not need, really. But <laughs> they need need a coach that is. Offensive-minded. There it is. Jeez, that was so difficult. <laughs> um, having that for Maryland would be huge because what they could do with the trio of Anthony Cowan, Bruno Fernando, and Jalen Smith, um, I feel like there's so much you can do offensively with that. <laughs> um, so I would love to see that. But we'll, we'll jump into the study. Actually, what do you got
1: all right so i i'm writing my senior thesis on choking in sports right now so you're gonna hear a lot of choking studies in the next few weeks but um so this one is kind of i'm kind of mashing together some studies here but it's like what to focus on in high pressure situations and studies that have shown like what uh, what kind of happens so it's a golf study again there's a lot of studies on golf because that's putting putting is a very easy task to make people do to analyze their performances and stuff, but I'm going to change it a little bit and apply it to free throw shooting. Um, so there's three areas that you can make someone focus on, or you should focus on. Really. You can focus internally. Uh, and then the other two are external, but proximal or distal. So internal means you're obviously focusing something internally on yourself. Um, and then from here on out, I won't use these words, but proximal is something like a little bit farther away, kind of like in between. So think of, internally think of you're focused on your shooting form um, for, for a free throw or maybe your elbow even. Uh, is it in, is it out, something like that. Um, for proximal, think of like you're focused on your fingertips when you're shooting the ball. And then for distal, think of the rotation of the ball when it leaves your hand. So they looked at, like, those three type areas, obviously, like I said, in golf, uh, but I'm applying it to basketball for our purposes. So the best performance was when focus was farthest away from the individual, which would mean the distal one, which would be um, how the ball is spinning or how many rotations, something like that. Something to focus on the ball after you release it. Uh, And then the second best was uh, proximal, so your fingertips when you release the ball. And then the worst by a wide margin was internally. So say your elbow is it in or is it out what's going on with your elbow in the shooting motion. Um, so it kind of sets up like a continuum of focus where um, performers that are, are really choking a lot or like, it's a bad, like crazy reversion. Say it's someone that's a 99% free throw shooter. And he literally airballs two free throws in p- pressure situations. Most likely he's focused on the elbow or he's focused on something close to the motion. Um, and as we talked about, I can't—it was a long time ago—but I said choking comes from focusing on the actual movement um, and taking yourself out of an automatic process. So, uh, if you if you want to work with kids on choking, if you want to work on your players with choking, if you want to just make them aware of the situations, you want to remove their focus as far away from their actual motion as you possibly can.
0: It's interesting, yeah, and. Again, like back to that other study, it makes sense um, because when you're trying to fix your form to where it doesn't feel natural, it's not going to be not going to have a good result. When you're really focusing on, okay, I need to have my elbow under the ball, fingertips, palm not touching, um, bend the bend your knees, keep your feet shoulder width apart. Like it's a lot to think about, Um, and when you have a certain shot that you've shot hundreds of times. If you're thinking about that stuff, you get out of your own. You're getting in your own way. So, um, makes sense. I like that one.
1: Yeah, and if you like for yourself, if you think about it, if you played basketball at high school level or college level, even if you just like to play basketball and you shot plenty of times in your driveway, anything like that, you've shot the ball so many times that you could close your eyes and your shooting form would still be the same. You obviously wouldn't be able to see it, but you can feel that your shooting form is at least. similar if not completely similar um, to when scenarios are are completely normal so when you are under pressure and you actually focus on that there's no reason to you're just focusing on it because you think like okay I have to make this shot I have to make sure everything goes right and by doing that you're actually changing and varying a lot of the normal processes and normal shooting mechanics that you always have so if you're a good shooter pressure or no pressure you don't think about your jump shot just shoot the ball
0: yeah as long as you have Basic foundations of a shot, and you're not shooting the ball where Taco Fall shoots it. And then <laughs> yeah, and
1: if you're gonna work with Taco Fall, that doesn't mean tell him to look at the ball after he shoots it. Like you should really work through the mechanics with him. But when he gets on the free throw line and it's a close game, you gotta tell him like, dude, you're a good shooter. Just you shoot your ball.
0: Yeah. Instill, Don't think about stuff. Instill that confidence. Keep it simple. Exactly. Nice. Well, that wraps up the episode. Um, old. We'll get into the NBA next episode, but um, we're almost to March, uh, and that means uh, we'll start ramping up the analysis and and giving you some um, feedback on matchups when the tournaments start to come out and go through those.
1: Yeah, so we're going to go Pac-12, which is probably just going to be Washington and Arizona State. Arizona State's on our bubble are they going to be in the podcast or not? At this point, if they lose a couple games this next week, see you later. <laughs> um, but so one, at least one, which is definitely going to be Washington, possibly both of them, and then we'll throw some mid majors in there next week, um, and then the week after that, we're going to do. It's going to be conference championship week, so we're going to do pick the conference championships, break down some of the conferences, and like pick players of the year stuff like that. Um, and then the week after that's going to be the first week of the tournament, so uh, we will be getting all our. Our good stuff out there, um, and try to help you make as close to a perfect bracket as possible. Obviously, we're gonna leave the perfect brackets for ourselves, but you guys can have the second perfect or second most perfect bracket. We'll throw one loss in there for you.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll mix it up for you. <laughs> and then when the tournament it's, it's
1: your job to try to find what
0: loss we're putting in there. Uh, yeah. And then when the tournament starts, we'll we'll show you the real bracket. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, that that wraps it up. Here's DJ Zenas to take us out.